right, so Heroes of the Faith, week seven. We are chugging right along. Last week, we talked about Abraham. We talked about faith that is tested, faith that withstands the test, faith that was stretched and stretched along the whole journey, all of Abraham's baffles and mistakes and having to, to pick up the broken pieces of his life that, that he would cause by disobeying God. And then we see him in this epic, epic test. Okay, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and bring him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Okay, God, I'm going to do that. And the very next morning, he gets up early, goes, and does it with the, with the knowledge that even God can resurrect the dead even if his son was nothing but burnt ash. Epic faith, but it took a long time to get there, right? It took a whole lot of mistakes and learning to get there. Well, we see this continuing here as we're in week seven. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph generational faith. You know, families tend to pass things along for generations. Have you noticed that? (laughs) And for each and every one of you, something different came to mind when I said that. For some families, it's heirlooms, right? Jewelry, furniture that's been in the family for years. Pastor Paul, you have a chest, right? That's been in the family for how old is that thing? Over a hundred years old. Wow. So that's four generations? Four generations that chest has survived. Yeah, I, I got the same problem with, with my kids, right? Furniture that I had as a baby, it's all, it's schmangled because kids today, they just, you know. Yeah. Nice. It's good. <laughs> well, <laughs> four, four generations is still impressive, right? <laughs> there you go. Well, for, for so much jewelry. Right, uh, my uh, a friend of mine has a uh, um, a ring that uh, one day when he meets the right girl is going to go on her finger. That belonged to his great great grandmother, and it was passed from generation to generation. Some families pass along things like property or a home or an inheritance. Right? I mean, so some of us are, are living in a home that our parents or grandparents purchased. Right? Some of us um, have property that that has extended out. Right? In in in, in Bible times what they would do is there would be a great plot of property that somebody would have, and when their children would be married, they would build something called a mansion, which this, this might ruin your theology a little bit, so hang with me. So when Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place, a mansion for you, when you think of mansion, you think of Ohika Castle. It's not what that means. What a mansion was, was actually an extended home built onto that original home attached to, attached to the, like, like one wall separating, right? So you only had to build three more walls to extend the home for the married couple there, right? And then as that next generation would happen, they'd, they'd, they'd do it again, <laughs> okay? <laughs> that, that's what mansion actually means. So, so for some of you, like, man, I wanted Ohika Castle. And for some of you, it's like, I get to live that close to Jesus? It's all about perspective, right? So anyways, I digress. So some families pass along things like property or a home or an inheritance. Some families pass down other things like habits, both good and bad. Families where mom and dad were really bad with money tend to make kids who are really bad with money. But families who had good habits modeled it, taught it to their kids, they can create good habits for generations to come. Some families pass down things like like traditions and stories from the past too. My great-grandfather is someone who, who I never met, but apparently he was a church planter too, who had great faith and pushed back on religiosity in the church in his day. Right? Somebody who, who pushed back against really a a time where there was division, not just in our country, but even in the church, of black and white. And he's somebody who was was pastoring at a church and and had done a Bible study in, in the black community and invited them to come to church, brought them to church, and uh, in, in the process, some of the people in the church, including elders, had approached him and said, we got a problem, what are they doing here? To which he said, don't worry, I'll take care of it, no problem. To which he preached, and after service, they went into his office and found his resignation letter 
to which he left and planted churches in the black community for the rest of his life. Right? And so, hey, you know what? Sometimes you give up the good gig uh, because there's a better gig. You just don't get the payoff on this side of eternity, right? But again, traditions, stories, habits, generational promises. Abraham was a man of great faith. He was considered the father of faith by many. But that faith took a lifetime of stretching for it to grow to the type of faith that we talked about last week. Abraham modeled that faith. You ready? Abraham modeled that faith. He didn't just tell Isaac to have faith or how to have faith. I'm sure he did that too. But he modeled that faith. He took him with him to sacrifice to God. He showed him how to live and obey God and trust God's word even when it goes against everything you're thinking or feeling. Although having a baby at 100 years old is not ideal to be able to keep up with him, it's remarkable the wisdom and faith that a seasoned man brings to the table compared to a very young man. So Isaac had a great advantage. Isaac had a great advantage of his father having him at 100 years old. He had lived through so much and experienced so much. Abraham had the seasoned faith and wisdom to give his son Isaac that would set him on the right path from a young man. Isaac learned a lot from his dad about trusting God. But he learned some bad habits from his dad too. We see Isaac, you kind of fast forward now. Isaac is married to his wife, Rebecca. Now just so you know, what I'm about to summarize for you briefly is 24 chapters of Genesis. Okay? So forgive me if I leave out some details, but just trying to stay on point of what we're talking about today, okay? Isaac marries his wife, Rebecca, and during a famine goes to a man named Abimelech, who is the king of the Philistines, so he can get some resources. And what does he do? Isaac tells his wife, Rebecca, please tell Abimelech that you are my sister, so nobody tries to kill me and marry you. Sound familiar? Eerily familiar. In fact, verbatim. <laughs> right? It's not kind of the same scenario. It is literally the same scenario of Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> we see we see Isaac recover well from this, just like his father Abraham did after repeating the same mistake his father did. What else do we see? Some bad habits that Isaac learned from Abraham. Well, Isaac played favorites with his children, Jacob and Esau. In a similar way, Abraham played favorites with Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac favored his son Esau, who was a hunter a gritty man's man, while his twin brother Jacob worked the ground, and Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. Jacob got away with things because of how mommy coddled him. Jacob means deceiver, and that's exactly what he was. He was now, now, they were twins. Keep this in mind. They were twins, but Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel as Esau came out of the womb. Jacob wanted to be the firstborn even from, from the womb, but that was Esau's birthright. Well, one day when the two boys were taking care of their responsibilities, Jacob is cooking stew. Esau is famished after hunting. He comes back and, and he thinks, he thinks he's close to death, right? Whether he was being dramatic or it was in fact true, I don't know that. Scripture doesn't say that, but it does tell you Esau's perspective. And Esau thought he was going to die. So Esau shows up and he's famished after hunting and he begs Jacob for that stew. Jacob offers his brother the stew in exchange for his birthright. So what's that, right? What's the big deal? Maybe that's something we don't understand in this culture because who here has more than one child? Okay, so if you've got more than one child, when you write out your will, how are you dividing it up? You know what, maybe don't say that because feelings can get hurt, okay? <laughs> but... <laughs> But here's, here's how it worked in this culture. The firstborn son, the firstborn son would get two-thirds of everything mom and dad had. And the other one-third was divided among everybody else. If you had 20 kids, sorry. 
Firstborn son got two-thirds of what mom and dad worked for. So Esau makes the trade and says to himself, what good is a birthright if I'm dead? Jacob did not forget this trade that they made because years later, when Isaac was almost completely blind and about to pass away, at least he thought so, Isaac actually lived many years after this occurrence. Maybe Isaac was a little dramatic. Maybe the whole family was a little dramatic. Who knows, right? Um, so Isaac thinks he's dying, and Isaac is ready to pass along his inheritance and the blessing. And so Jacob deceives his father with the help of his mother to receive the blessing from Isaac. After Jacob runs away from home because he's afraid Esau is going to kill him. I mean, <laughs> you think? <laughs> so he, he skedaddles and he, he finds himself in a place far away from his home and falls in love with a pretty little girl and goes to that pretty little girl's dad and says, hey, pretty little girl's dad, um, what do I got to do to marry this pretty little girl of yours? Right? And he says, great, work for me for seven years hard labor okay, sounds good. And he did. And, and actually scripture says he did it with joy. He was stoked. He like, he had his little calendar and he's like, mm-hmm. I hope she still looks this good in six more years. Mm-hmm. Hope she still looks this good in five more years. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's working and he's working. And now it's time for the wedding and he gets there and they take their vows. And now it's official. It's contracted. And then it's like, cool, let's go back to the hotel and then the veil comes off and what the what you're oh no <laughs> right and so he goes to his father-in-law this guy Laban is like you deceived me he's like you signed the contract sorry <laughs> right oh no but I wanted her well what do I got to do give me seven more years and he did man this girl must have been smoking because I'm telling you, 14 years hard labor and you're already stuck with her sister. Like, this is a bad day for Jacob. But you know what? Jacob was a deceiver. Now Jacob got a taste of his own medicine right back at him. It's amazing. You learn something. that when you deceive people, it actually costs them something. You didn't really, there's, there's not a victimless crime when you're a deceiver, when you're a liar, when you're a manipulator. And eventually it catches up to you one way or another, Right? So I know we're flying through these stories here so, so you can see the bigger picture of God's faithfulness from generation to generation. But let's fast forward now to Jacob. Jacob returns with his wives. To, wives. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> Jacob returns with his wives to the land God promised his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac. But in the process, he wrestles with God. He runs into the angel of the Lord. Now, just so you know, in the Old Testament, if there's an angel, it's, it's just an angel, which just means messenger, right? Okay? If it's the angel of the Lord, that's called a Christophany or a Theophany, right? That is the pre-incarnate Christ. That's Jesus showing up. Now, that's not just, it's not only from the wording there that we draw that conclusion. It's also because we see angels, biblical angels, not demons, but, but heavenly angels will not receive worship from men. They know there's only one to be worshipped, and that's God. The angel of the Lord receives worship. The angel of the Lord makes authoritative statements as though he is God. Right? It's the incarnate Christ, pre-Bethlehem. So Jesus wrestles with Jacob, and they go all night. Now, real, real quick, who thinks that's an even match? right? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> so what, what's, what's Jesus doing here? What's Jesus doing? He's what? I, I can't hear you. Speak louder. He does. Yeah. After the whole night of them wrestling, finally, he just touches his hip and it dislocates, which, which is kind of cool. It's not like he pulled his hip out. He just went, all right, I win. Ah! <laughs> like, why are we doing this all night then? What's going on? Right? It's incredible though. He was, he was teaching him something. And he, as he wrestled with God and would wrestle with God emotionally and spiritually for the rest of his life. And then he would change his name in that moment. You're no longer Jacob, but now you are Israel. He's forever changed. 
His name, Jacob, meant deceiver. His new name, Israel, means one who wrestles with God. So, let's fast forward again. Israel has 12 children of his own. And just like his father and his grandfather before him, what does he do? He plays favorites. He's people, man. Generational curse. Generational bad parenting. My goodness, somebody get them a book. It's just bad. So his son who came from his favorite wife, Rachel, named Joseph, was his favorite son, and he let everyone know it. He didn't just keep it a secret, or when somebody accused him of it, he didn't deny it, but then really slipped the kid an extra candy bar, right? It wasn't like that. No, 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 no. No, you know what? You know what? You know what Jacob slash Israel did? He had this special coat made of many colors, which, just so you know, he didn't go to TJ Maxx and get it at 25% off. This was like, for you to have a coat of many colors in this culture cost you serious, serious dinero. Serious. I'm talking like, like if, you know, if my three kids, when they go get their licenses, if, if I help Bella get like a used old beat up Pinto, and I helped Noah get like an old 1975 pickup truck that's barely running. And then Timmy, I buy him a brand new Maserati. You'd be like, what? Yeah, are you kidding? That, that, that is the, the financial difference here in their barely getting by clothing versus this coat of many colors. You had to get dyes from all over the world to be able to create this coat of many colors. And so, you know, good old, good old Joseph, he's, he's rocking that bad boy, right? Like, if, if I got Timmy a Maserati, I, I think he'd drive it. You know what I'm saying? So, so not only is Joseph wearing his coat of many colors, but God gives him this dream that all his brothers are going to bow down to him. And stupid Joseph opens his mouth. Hey, guys, I had a dream. Really, Joseph? Dad's favorite. Tell us about it. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> you guys were all bowing to me. Here he goes again. Like, really? You got to be stupid to open your mouth in that instance, right? He was young and naive. Well, the hate grew from his brothers, and so his brothers plotted to have him killed. No joke. You thought your family had drama. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Right? That's like the whole Maserati example if like Bella and Noah went and cut Timmy's brake lines. Like you'd be like, holy dysfunctional, Batman. But no joke, that's what's happening here. They're like, we're going to kill him. So, so Reuben, one of the brothers, hears this and is like, whoa, guys, like a little far, a little, little far. Let's not kill him. Uh, all right. How do, I, how do I get them to not kill him? Oh, I know. Guys, let's, uh, let's, let's keep him alive, but let's sell him into slavery. And so they do that. They hide him in this pit. And, and it's amazing how God ordains and uses everything. Check this out. You know what scripture says? A group of Ishmaelites were coming by who were traitors. Not traitors, but traders. Can I just, can I just point something out here? You ready? Who was Joseph's dad? Jacob slash Israel. Who was Jacob's dad? Isaac. Who was Isaac's half-brother? Ishmael. How was Ishmael born? Through Abraham and Sarah disobeying God. And here we fast forward two generations. A descendant of Ishmael is now the very person God uses to save the life of Joseph. Don't you dare write anybody off ever. Don't do it. God's redemptive plan is for everyone. Do not write anyone off ever. God has a plan. God has a plan. So they sell him into slavery and they convinced their father that a wild animal had come and killed him by destroying his coat of many colors and drenching it in blood. 
Joseph is sold to a man named Potiphar, who's an official in Egypt, and Joseph would go from the bottom of the barrel to the slave who managed Potiphar's entire house and was trusted by Potiphar completely and totally until Potiphar's wife would ruin that by trying to seduce Joseph. He didn't take the bait. She accused him of raping her when he actually resisted her. You ready? This landed Joseph in prison. Now, that was actually God's mercy again and very unique. You know why this was God's mercy and unique? Go ahead, ask me. Why, Ben? Tell me. Good. I'm so glad you guys asked. Because if you didn't ask, I'd be in trouble because it's in my notes for you to ask. So, whew, that was close. Okay. So, in ancient Egypt, the punishment for raping an official's wife was death, not prison. So, either Potiphar was super gracious and had respected Joseph so much, or maybe Potiphar kind of knew his wife was a little... (whistles) and said, hey man, to save my own public face, I have to do something about it, but I'm not going to kill you because I know you didn't do anything wrong here. Who knows? What we do know is he got a much lighter sentence than what was supposed to happen if he was in fact guilty. So he's in prison through God giving him the translation of dreams, he would ultimately eventually be standing before Pharaoh, translating a dream for Pharaoh, which would place him as second in command directly under Pharaoh over all of Egypt. It wasn't like president and vice president. It's like king and like king part two, but the only one that you answer to is me. It's like Joseph walks into the room and they're bowing, right? Like ancient, in ancient Egypt, they believed that, that the pharaohs were, were God on earth. This is insane. Consider where Joseph had come from and what God had did here. So God reveals to Joseph through Pharaoh's dream that a period of seven years of incredible abundance were about to be coming. But they were going to be followed by seven years of horrible famine. And so Joseph shared his plan with Pharaoh and said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to store everything. We are not going to act like there's excess. In fact, we're going to act like the famine already started, even though there is excess. And we are going to pile up every bit of grain from all of Egypt. Now, now here's the thing. You might be thinking, wow, that's, that's really conservative. That's a good move. Of course, of course, Pharaoh thought that would be a good idea. Well, you want to know what came from this? It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't just a good move for, for their own people to be able to eat. Pharaoh was interested in his own gain. Through Joseph doing this, and read this. It's in the scripture. I'm not making this up. Read this. This isn't even me, my, my opinion or me translating it. This is, it literally says this. Through Joseph doing this, Pharaoh acquired all of the surrounding land. Because when the famine hit, they were the only ones with grain. And guess where the price of grain went? And through Joseph's economics here, Joseph single-handedly is responsible for the incredible riches of Egypt. He made Pharaoh super rich. Makes sense that he put him second in command, right? This was a great plan, right? That would be like, hey guys, God showed me how the stock market's going to go for the next seven years. Let's have a conversation. Want to invest? (laughs) Right? Okay. So, um, Throughout Egypt, uh, all the excess he saved for the following seven years. So, think about this. Where did Joseph learn to manage? Where did he learn to manage this? Listen, he, he got sent away by his brothers when he was 17 years old. It's not like he had time to learn that at home on the farm. Perhaps it was while he was overseeing Potiphar's house. Perhaps... God forced Joseph into management school by slavery under Potiphar's rule because God had a bigger plan for Joseph that Joseph wasn't even aware of yet, but God put him through the training that Joseph never would have voluntarily signed up for. 
Perhaps God is preparing you for something big by forcing you into a situation you don't want to be in. But he wants you to learn to honor him in the midst of it and learn. You might be in school today and not know it. Pay attention. Well, the famine impacted everyone, including Israel and his 11 remaining adult sons. They heard there was grain for sale in Egypt. They head there. Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they do not recognize him. What a great, great situation to be in, is it not? (laughs) Revenge is a dish best served cold. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so what does he do? He tests them and tests their character through a series of plots until he finally, eventually reveals himself to them. And then is the bittersweet, awkward moment of, man, we we tried to kill you. It's only because of Reuben you're even alive. And literally, right now, you're the only reason we're going to continue to be alive. That is incredible. Please have mercy. Just feeding them would have been enough, right? Just giving them maybe a discount on the grain. You know, the friends and family discount. You know, use, use promo code, hashtag Joseph, I told you so. And you get 50% off the grain. <laughs> but no. Nope, didn't, didn't quite work out that way. He actually would invite them to live in Egypt with him. He would provide them with the finest of lifestyles and God would reveal to Israel that this is the plan. See, for the first time, Jacob slash Israel had sought God to say, God, the last time one of my relatives went into Egypt, it didn't work out very well. Do I go? And God said, go. This is all part of the plan. And so Pharaoh would bless this family and they would be given the best land and they would be well taken care of. And when Israel was near death, he blessed Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he reminded Joseph that God promised the land of Canaan to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now Joseph and his descendants as well. And so Jacob asked that his body would be brought back to that land upon his death. Joseph had this done 17 years later when Jacob would die. And you ready? All of Egypt mourned for 70 days. All of Egypt. Joseph was their hero. The, the, whole, the whole country grieved and mourned for 70 days because Joseph's father had passed away. You know what else the Bible says there? It actually says that that the whole procession from Egypt to Canaan for them to bring Jacob's body back to be buried in the cave that Abraham bought years ago, it says there was never a, a, a procession like that. That it was incredible. It was magnificent. It was for royalty. As the power and the glamour of Egypt descended upon that land to bury this man and mourn him for 70 days. We then fast forward to Joseph's death after after he bore grandchildren and great-grandchildren of his own. And just before his death, he has this interaction with his brothers found in Genesis chapter 50, verses 24 through 26. Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Now, what we just read there is significant, and we're going to talk about why it's significant next week. 
um, as we as we continue through the series. But um, these guys had a family legacy, didn't they? I mean, even throughout the rest of Scripture, what do we see when people quote the God of Israel? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. That's how he's referenced by the Jews for generations to come. They had a family legacy of proving no matter how screwed up you may be, God is faithful and can use you to do great things. God used Abraham and stretched his faith. Abraham passed the good, the bad, and the ugly to his son Isaac, who had his own mess to deal with and learned some bad stuff from dad and some great stuff from dad too. He would also play favorites with his son Esau. It would come back to bite him. And the promise would be continued through Jacob, who God would change him as well. Jacob made lots of mistakes too. And let's not even comment on his parenting. His kids tried to kill one of their own brothers. God used all of this for good. And through this crazy, drama-filled family, God would save the known world at the time by providing food for them during the worst famine of their time. We see that the best of this family was their faith. It was their faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22 says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, each of the sons of Joseph, And he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. You see, they knew. They knew what was coming. God revealed this to Abraham when God first told Abraham that he would make him a mighty nation. Long before Isaac was even born, God told Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, but there's going to be a time where your family, your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years before I follow through on that promise. They knew it was coming. Joseph knew slavery was somewhere around the corner. He knew it. And he said, but when God comes through for you, When you're on the other side, not if you make it to the other side, not if God keeps his promise and somehow this happens. It's not a backup plan. It wasn't a just in case. He had the same faith of his great grandfather. Abraham said to his servants, the boy and I will return. Not we might return, not I might be coming back alone. We will be right back. Joseph said, when God shows up for you, bring, bring my bones with you. I want to be part of that legacy. I want to be part of that celebration when we're on the other side, when God keeps his promises. And my dear friends, in, in the same way, you're all going through something. You're going through something. For some of you, it's plural. You're going through some things. For some of you, it's super plural. Like, I don't even know how many things I'm going through. It just don't stop. Not if you make it through. When you make it through. Don't be quiet about your testimony. That's how you overcome testimony remembering what he did listen nothing in your life is wasted nothing nothing joseph being a slave in potiphar's house was not wasted it was training you know how george washington became the general in the continental army during the revolutionary war you want to know how that happened he had no military experience That's not why they picked him. They didn't pick him because he was the best fighter. You know what his career was? From a young boy, his job was a land surveyor. 
Not his dream job. Not what he wanted to do. But when they said, hey, Britain's going to be fighting us on our territory. Who knows this land really well? I do. Not the ideal job I wanted. But hey, I'm prepared. So what was Jacob's blessing? What was Esau's blessing? The land of Canaan was promised to their family by God, and it was the faith that God would lead his people back out of Egypt one day into Canaan, that Jacob blessed Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. These two boys who grew up in Egypt, now knowing what the promise and the blessing was for them, without even knowing what it looked like. Think about that. When you fast forward and you read who the 12 tribes of Israel were, you know who's mentioned in there is Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh were not two of the 12 sons of Israel. You'll notice when you look at the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph isn't mentioned. It's his, it's his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. They, they got the blessing. It was the faith that God would lead his people back out of Egypt one day into Canaan. Joseph knew God was a keeper of his word, and so with 100% confidence that his children's children's children would return to Canaan one day, he requested they bring his bones with them upon their return. Now, things would change for this family shortly after Joseph's death, and again, we'll go over that next week, but I just want to take the remainder of our time together to bring some application to our lives today, and I'll be brief, I promise. The first is this. We need to think long-term and even longer than that. We can't just come up with the, the quick fixes, guys. We can't be reactive to everything. We must be proactive. And that's not just good practical application for your life. I'm talking spiritually. Like, don't wait for a trial or for something terrible to happen for you to lean on Jesus. Learn who he is now. Love him deeply. Because the trial is coming no matter what. How nice to be prepared. How nice to be able to embrace him and hold on tightly. Know him. We need to think generationally. We need, we need to think generationally. Listen, I, I got to tell you, you know, on Sunday mornings, when you, usually, you know, Stephen is able, Stephen's sick today, when, when he's doing the setup and, and, and he's got Willie with him and, and Willie's helping out with, with the setup. And obviously, you know, we have him being careful and not touching things that could break, right? But, but listen, <laughs> That is powerful. From the youngest of age, he must understand, first of all, we're a family and everybody in the family works for the betterment of the family. We're not consumers. But he loves to help. For Willie, it's not a, I got to do this. It's a, I get to do this. There's, there's joy in, in doing it because he's doing it with his daddy. Do you see all the parallels? Listen, life is work. This, this world is disciple-making is hard work. You're not always going to be in the mood to do it. But, but, but you get to do it. And you get to do it with Daddy. You've got to be a, 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 an example for the next generation. Don't just tell your kids what to do. Show them what to do. Show them how to do it. You can't tell your kids, prioritize church, prioritize being in God's presence, and then you don't. You can't tell your kids the importance of knowing the word of God when you don't read it by yourself or with them or to them. You, you, can't, you can't tell your kids prayer is the very lifeline of your life if you don't do it in front of them. If you don't teach them to do it. One generation believes in God. The next generation assumes God because the first generation didn't teach them why and how and the depths of believing in God. So the next generation assumes God. So they follow the same practices and do the same thing, but they don't understand why. But then they raise a generation because they didn't understand why. When this generation doesn't understand why and they can't explain it, the next generation rebels against God. And although this generation is disappointed... 
This generation is walking around in despondency and despair because I didn't teach my children to teach their children to teach their children to teach their children to understand the why and the how and the depths. And we wonder why we are living in a post-Christian United States. Because we assumed it. And we left it to the pastors and the youth pastors. You teach my kids. Sunday school. You. You teach my kids. No. Mom. Dad. You teach your kids. And declare war against anyone who comes in between them and truth. We must model faith for them. We can't just tell them what God's word says. We must be a living Bible for our children and for their children. They are learning not just from what we say, but from what we do. We saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all making the same mistakes, but the generational curse of those mistakes was broken by Joseph. Did you see that? Did you notice that? The generational curse was broken by Joseph. How? How did that happen? How did Joseph not make the same mistakes as daddy and granddaddy and great-granddaddy? I'll tell you how. He was enslaved from when he was 17. God removed him from them. God protected him through slavery. God interrupted his life for a greater purpose. Which brings me to my next point, which is you need to be okay with God interrupting your life. I know nobody likes interruptions. I'm not a big fan of them. But you need to be okay with God interrupting your life because he may just be breaking generational curses through you. He may be using you for someone else's blessing. He may be establishing your family in a unique way. He may have a unique ministry or legacy for you to leave. Man, I, I pray that God uses me this way. I pray that he uses Park Center as a beacon of hope and reform in the church today. That we may be a catalyst movement here on Long Island that changes the Long Island church culture and brings it back to being gospel-centric to its biblical roots. Yes. Joseph had to undergo severe pain. Yeah. I'm trying to, baby. <laughs> yeah. Amen. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Joseph had to undergo severe pain. Beyond what his parents or grandparents went through to prepare him for such a legacy. Don't run from pain. Learn what God is doing in the pain. Learn what God is doing in the pain. <laughs> We'll fish through the pain. <laughs> I want to go fishing too, man. I want to fish for fish and fish for men. <laughs> God made a promise to Joseph's great-grandpa Abraham. And, and God reaffirmed. Again, read through it. Take the time. Read Genesis 24 all the way up to Genesis 50, and you'll catch up on everything we talked about today. Read through it yourselves, please. Don't ever take my word for anything. Ever. Ever. You know, I've said joking around. I think one time I'm going to preach some heresy just to see who calls me on it, right? You know, like, please, like, know the word of God. Challenge me when I'm wrong. God made a promise to Joseph's great-grandpa Abraham and reaffirmed with his grandpa Isaac and reaffirmed with his daddy Jacob. But interestingly enough, we don't see that promise reaffirmed with Joseph. Do you see that? God personally has the conversation with Abraham. I'm going to bless you. Here's how. Then God personally has the conversation with Isaac. Just like your daddy, I'm going to bless you. Here's how. Then with Jacob, after Jesus is done wrestling with him, he reaffirms again. Just like your granddaddy, just like your daddy, I'm going to bless you. And here's how. He reaffirms the promise. We don't see any such conversation between God and Joseph. 
There is not that moment where God meets with Joseph to say, you will inherit the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, without that affirmation, he believed it. Joseph didn't need to have a private conversation with God to believe the promise that God gave to him, to that legacy, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Joseph got it. God, we don't need to have a conversation about this. I'm so sure you're going to follow through on your promise that I'm telling them, bring my bones back when you do it. We don't need to have a conversation about it. I trust you. I know you. I'm not questioning you. I know it to be true. I know it. Allow your faith to grow as strong as Joseph's faith that you would be so confident in God's promises. There's one thing to be confident in God's promises. There's another thing to plan for them. I could say I believe in God's promises all day. But if my life is lived in such a way that I'm telling you I trust in me more than I trust in him, I'm a liar. Am I structuring my life that I truly believe his promises? Finally, trust God with your family. Trust him with your kids. Jacob thought his son was dead, but God had a greater plan and Jacob had nothing to do with it. See, while we got to see the whole story of Joseph, Jacob was still mourning his son's death, not knowing that he was a slave, not knowing that he made his way up through through the ranks, not knowing that now his son was second in command over all of Egypt and he was still mourning his death. Be willing to allow God to do what he is doing. That seems self-explanatory, right? But it's really hard because we want to make life easier for our kids. We hate when they're hurt or disappointed or when they're trying their best and all we want to do is make life easier for them or get them out of trouble or comfort them. But sometimes you've got to use wisdom and allow God to do what he is doing in their lives because he's building up their faith so they can stand. Allow him to build up their faith so they can stand. If you help a butterfly out of its cocoon, it will die. Allow God to build up your children. You love them with all you've got, but seek God on how to respond to what he's doing in their lives. And my dear friends, this goes for your spiritual children too. We make disciples by doing life with people and leading them to Christ. And we want to just go deeper and get closer, but they need to be released and set free too. You can't, you can't just keep protecting because then they don't get the same experience you got to. Do you understand? You, you, you need to teach them to feed themselves. You need to teach them to have some emotional and spiritual thick skin. You need to teach them to, to rely on God. You need to teach them that the hard times are going to come and I'm not going to protect you from those hard times because even if I could, I would be getting in the way of what God is doing in your life. Even those who you are discipling, love them, set them free, let them flourish, be there for them, but set them free. They need to be able to flourish and go make disciples of their own as well. We must be fruitful and multiply. We must build up an army to storm the gates of hell. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph had generational faith that they learned from their dad, Abraham. Let's all be Abraham and Joseph. Let's all be Abraham and Joseph. Let's leave a legacy of faith. Let's be patriarchs and matriarchs in our family. And let's also break generational curses as we seek to honor God all the days of our lives. Let's think generationally. Let's think not just about tomorrow, but next year and the year after. Let's not just think about Deer Park. Let's think of Long Island. Let's not just think about Long Island. Let's think of the United States. Let's not just think about the United States. Let's think about the world. One day at a time. One step at a time. Let's live 
Soli Deo Gloria. God alone gets the glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you, you've changed us and you've made us new, God, that you've given us hope, that you've given us life. God, we're so grateful that nothing is wasted. Lord, we're so grateful that, that everything that enters our lives, it's not even just a matter of being for our good and for your glory, but it's training, it's equipping. It's, it's generational curse-breaking and patriarch-making. God, it's, it's life-changing if we would just embrace it and embrace you. God, that, that we would lose the victim mentality when things don't go our way. God, that when we look around and say as Christians we're outnumbered and, and even in the political arena and, and just the way it looks like things are headed, God, that, that we would stop feeling powerless or hopeless, but that we would recognize it's all part of your plan and we are your agents of change. Lord, as we, as we sung this morning, build your kingdom here, Lord. Lord, build your kingdom here. And as we, as we sing that, and as we say that that is our prayer, we recognize that you're answering that prayer by equipping your church. Lord, you said you would build your church and the gates of hell could not stand against it. Lord, let us storm gates. Let us be on the offensive and not always defensive, God. God, let us think generationally and let us raise up leaders and set them free. God, not for Park Center Community Church's glory. God, but may we raise up leaders to build your kingdom that do not stay here, but that are released and go, God, and go take new territory for you in your name for your glory. Lord, let us not be afraid. Lord, thank you that you work all things for your good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.